I am very, very happy to see you. And I want to give you the guarantee that God will bless you for your presence here this evening. This is guaranteed on the authority of God's word. He will bless you for your presence here this evening. How many of you are from San Bernardino? May I see your hands? All right. How many from Fontana? May I see your hands? Okay. Loma Linda, may I see your hands? All right. Uh, what's next? Uh, Colton, can I see your hands? Okay. Now, what town did I leave out in the nearby vicinity? Well, how many of you are from that town? And all other towns. Thank you for coming. Let me repeat, God will bless you. We will be meeting every night, except what nights? Saturday nights, yes. So don't come tomorrow night, we won't be here, but we will be back in this place at the same time on Sunday evening for more of freedom from fear. Before we go any further, let us bow our heads and pray. Our loving Father in heaven, Jesus said in John 16, 13, Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Father, in the name of Jesus, guide us into truth, I pray. Grant to me the right words, and to your sons and daughters who have come, enlighten minds that the truth may triumph. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our subject for tonight is, what all women should know about God. What all women should know about God. And I want all men to eavesdrop while we're telling women what they should know about God. Everyone has heard the word God. And we have varying views of who God is, or for some people, what God is, for others, what is his or her gender. There are many, many questions about God, who he is, what he does, and how he does it. Now let's go with me to Isaiah chapter 55 and we shall read verses 8 and 9. Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9. We're happy to see those of you who are coming in. God bless you. Come on in. We have some seats for you and they look comfortable from my vantage point. What book did I say? What chapter? What verses? God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now what does God mean by this? Simply this. God is vastly different from us. Absolutely different. And the only description God can give of this difference that makes sense to us is to express it in terms of the difference of the distance between heaven and earth. And so God says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, Isaiah 55 verse 9, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. But having said that, the Bible also calls upon us to know God. It is not that God does not know how to make up his mind. Yes, he's different from us. But he also wants us to understand that there is a lot about him he desires us to know. God wants to be known by human beings. Can you say amen? Now when you were dating, or perhaps you are dating, 
People date presumably for the purpose of what? Getting to know someone. You want to see the person under pressure. You want to see the person in a social setting. You want to see the person in the church setting. You want to see the person in the company of your friends. You want to see the person in the company of your family, in the person's family presence. We want to get to know that person in order to decide, do I want to marry this person or should I put an end to this sad story as soon as possible? And so we date. Now God says to us, I want you to get to know me. And our subject is what all women should know about God. God wants us to know him. God does not desire to be a thorough mystery in our lives. Now, let us look at some examples in scripture of the Bible calling upon us to know. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Who wrote Corinthians? Paul, yes. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I don't hear the pages of the Bible turning. Perhaps I'll hear more pages from Sunday night on. Let me warn you with a smile. I like to hear the pages of the Bible turning. If you don't know what I mean, I mean this. There's a beautiful music in the house of God. The pages being turned. Do you have 1 Corinthians 6? Look at verse 2. Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? Now, Paul seems to be surprised. Do you not know? What he's actually saying is, you ought to know that there's coming a day when the saints shall judge the world. Look at verse 3. Know ye not that we shall judge angels, says Paul. You ought to know. Don't you know? Know ye not that we shall judge angels. Look at verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Again, Paul seems a little surprised that the saints did not know. Look at verse 15. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Look at verse 16. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? Look at verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? So Paul is saying, members of the church, there are things you ought to know. And God desires us to know him. Let's go to John chapter 17. Who wrote John? <laughs> yes, John. John 17. Who was the favorite disciple of Christ? John. But who said he was favorite? Jesus or John? Yes, John said that of himself. And that's a, an example for us. We have to decide to be Christ's favorite person. Are you listening to me? We have to choose to be close to Christ. Christ loved Peter as much as he loved John and Judas and Philip and Bartholomew, but John took it upon himself to love Jesus most. And so he describes himself in his gospel as the disciple that loved Jesus. John 17, verse 3. This is Jesus praying to his Father. And he said, And this is life eternal, that they might what? Know thee. Eternal life is inseparably connected. It is attached to a knowledge of God. This means if I do not know God, my eternal life may be in jeopardy. This is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. As we continue, what every woman or what all women should know about God. Ephesians chapter 1. Who wrote Ephesians? Yes, Paul. Paul loved to write and talk. He wrote about uh, a quarter of the books of the uh, New Testament with respect to volume. What book did I say? 
What chapter? Reading from verse 15. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Now here's what Paul prayed for. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Paul prayed that God would open the eyes of the church at Ephesus, that they may have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. Verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling. Paul wanted the members to know what is in it for you when you answer the call of God. And what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Paul calls upon the members to know. Let's go to Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3. I won't ask you who wrote Peter. Too easy of a question. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 18. Do you have that? I can hear more pages turning now, and I am delighted. Second Peter chapter 3, reading verse 18, Peter writes to the saints, But do what? Grow in grace and in what? The knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We are called to grow in grace. Go to Second Peter chapter 1. We were just in chapter 3. Let's go to chapter 1 as we continue what women should know about God. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. How? Through the knowledge of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge. So there are things about God. He wants us to know a knowledge of God is essential in the life of someone who claims to be a child of God. Now, God does not want us to live lives of fear. And we have to understand that. Now this series is called Freedom from what? From fear. And God does not desire his children or anyone else to live a life of fear. But most people on the face of the earth, they live in fear and with fear. During the series, you will learn how to live without fear and fright. And crippling anxiety and uncertainty about today and tomorrow. It is God's will that you understand. He does not want you fearful. In Second Timothy chapter 1 verse 7, go there with me. Now who wrote Timothy? Paul, yes. Timothy was an outstanding young man. I urge you, when you have some time and make the time, read the two epistles to Timothy and read the epistle to Titus. Tremendous young men. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Meaning a fearful mind is not a sound mind. I am not sure that all of you heard what I just said. Let me repeat it. The verse says, 2 Timothy 1, verse 7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. It does not come from God. There are only two sources. Should I tell you the other source? Or should I be nice and not mention his name? There are two sources. Something either comes from God or it comes from the other source. The Bible says, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, 
but of power and of love and of a sound mind, a balanced mind, a mind not deformed by fear. We are afraid of the communities in which we live. We are uncertain about whether we'll have a job next week. We are uncertain about whether our children will grow up to love Christ and to know him. We are uncertain about the quality of education in our schools, whatever those schools may be. We have numerous sources of this fear, and God has a way for us to lose it now. What I want you to know tonight, ladies, as the men eavesdrop, about God, two things. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1. Who wrote Genesis? Moses. Genesis chapter 1. What other books did Moses write, as far as you know? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and almost all of Deuteronomy, not the part including his funeral or his death, quite clearly. And there are some who believe that Moses also wrote the book of Job. Genesis 1, verse 1. Now, say that verse with me, all together. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, pause. Now, that's my favorite verse in all of Scripture. In the beginning... Whenever that was, God, who had to be before the beginning, created the heaven and the earth. That's creation. Look at verse 3. Let's find out how God created. Verse 3 of Genesis 1. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God spoke. And by the way, the very powerful word that God spoke way back then is the same powerful word from which we will study from night to night. The power in God's word is not reduced by the fact that the word is now on the printed page. It has the same power to change and to create and to bring things into existence. And it has the power to take the fear out of your heart. And if you keep coming... You will emerge from this series like a butterfly from a chrysalis without fear, with wings to rise above the anxieties of this life if you come night after night. We've learned that God created. How? By his word. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, who was this God who said that? The Godhead is made of a Father, Son, Holy Ghost. And we'll get into that sometime in the series. We have the Holy Ghost mentioned in verse 2. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. We have the first member of the Godhead mentioned by name, the Holy Spirit. There's God the Father, there's God the Son, and there's God the Holy Ghost. Which one said, let there be light? Now the Bible tells us. We have to identify who he was before we move on to fully understand what is it God wants women and men to know. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1. Who wrote Colossians? Yes, Paul. Colossians chapter 1. We shall read from verse 16. We should actually read from verse 14. It nails down who we're talking about. Colossians 1 from verse 14, the Bible says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now, who is that? Christ. 
It was not God the Father who shed his blood. It was not the Holy Ghost who shed his blood. It was the Son who shed his blood on Calvary's cross. And Colossians 1.14 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Verse 15, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Now, verse 16, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him. Finish that verse for me. All things consist. Now, look at those two verses again. They are concussive in their power. For by him, the one who shed his blood, in verse 14, by him, were all things created that are in heaven. And what's in heaven? What's in heaven? The angels. You see, God cannot be created. God creates. So Father, Son, and Holy Ghost were not created. The Son was the superstar of creation. And he created all things that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. Now, what's invisible? Well, angels are invisible, yes. Until we get over the other side, we'll see them. Come on, say amen. I look forward to seeing angels, and I won't run when I see one. What else is invisible? The air. What else is invisible? Well, whatever is invisible. Jesus Christ, the second member of the Godhead, created visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all those terms refer to various levels of angelic beings in the universe. Jesus Christ made them. All things were created, look at the end of verse 16, all things were created by him and for him. The universe was created for Christ and by Christ. This earth in its unspoiled beauty was created by Christ, for Christ, his pleasure. All things were created by him and for him. Now verse 17 really gets us into the heart of what I want to say. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. Now what does this mean? What this means is the introduction of another piece of information about the creator. We learn from Genesis 1.1, God created. We learn from Colossians 1.16, that God was Christ. Let's strengthen that before we take a look at in him all things consist. Let's go to Ephesians 1. As we continue, what all women should know about God. And I want to urge you, bring your friends on Sunday night. And this may sound funny, but it's not. Bring your enemies. Because the word of God can change your enemy into a friend. The word of God changes the enemies of God's sinners into friends, saints. Bring your friends. Bring your relatives. Bring enemies if they will come to hear the word of God. Hebrews chapter 1, reading from verse 1. God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. Here we have additional proof 
biblical that Jesus Christ created. And verse 3 of Hebrews 1 tells us, He upholds what He creates by His powerful word. Now let me explain that. As we learn what I want all of us to know about God. When God makes something, He assumes personal responsibility for sustaining that thing. Let me repeat that differently. When God made the world, He did not hand it over to some other power to preserve it and to maintain it and to sustain it and to keep it functioning as he originally desired. That which Christ created, Jesus Christ assumes the moral responsibility for sustaining it. And so Colossians 1.17 says, And he is before all things and by him all things consist or hold together. Now this is critical information. We have men who father children, then the men disappear. They create, and they don't hold it together. Am I right? Yes, I'm right. We have women who have children from time to time on the news. You hear of a woman who dumps a baby in a garbage can because she does not want to take care of it. It was unplanned and unwanted. Creating, not sustaining. God is not like that. Once he brings it into existence, he is responsible for preserving it. And so Colossians says, in him all things consist. Now, let's look at some examples of this. Matthew chapter 6. Now I know you know who wrote Matthew. Do you know what Matthew was before he became saved? What was he? A tax collector. Give me another word for tax collector. A publican. Give me another word. A what? A thief. Yes. It wasn't a professional term, but by all practical standards, a tax collector in those days was a thief. They collected taxes for the Romans, but they took more than necessary, and they kept the rest for themselves. And the Jews in the days of Christ absolutely despised publicans. That's why when Jesus mingled with them, they were shocked. This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them because the publicans and the sinners drew nigh to hear him. Matthew was a publican who met Jesus Christ. Is there a thief in this house tonight? Don't raise your hand. Jesus Christ, as he did for Matthew, can change your life so that you are not recognizable to your former associates in theft. Whatever you are, a murderer here tonight, Christ, when you meet with him, Jesus Christ will change you absolutely. Matthew 6, reading from verse 25, Jesus says, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. It's not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment. Then he says, Behold the fowls of the air. Now Christ is about to give an example. He just told human beings, don't worry about what you'll eat, what you'll drink, or what you'll put on your skin. And in order to make his point powerful and cogent, Jesus goes to nature for an example. He says, behold the fowls of the air. 
For they sow not, they don't plant seeds, neither do they reap, they don't harvest plants, nor gather into barns yet. Your heavenly Father feedeth them. Now what is Jesus saying? That God takes care of the dumb animals of this world. Then he goes on to say, are ye not much better than they? If God cares for a sparrow, now listen to me. You all look reasonable. Are you reasonable? Say yes. All right. You know, the Bible calls upon us to reason together. Come now, let us reason. That's why God gave us a brain. When you reason, you're being like God. When you use your intelligence, you are functioning like God. Let's reason together. If God cares for a bird that was not made in his image, if God cares for a bird for whom Jesus Christ did not die, if God cares for a bird that will not be raised in the first or second resurrection, will he not care for you whom he made? The answer is yes. So Jesus says, behold the fowls of the air. They sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly father of them, father feed of them, are ye not much better than they? Which of you, he says, by taking thought, can add one cubit to a stature? That may mean either an inch in height or a year in the length of your life. Cannot do it by worrying. Then he goes in verse 28, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. Now he goes from living things, birds, to another form of life, plant life. God cares for everything way down the ladder of life and existence. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you, not even Solomon, the richest man who ever lived, not even Solomon was arrayed or dressed or decked out like one of these lilies growing by the side of the road. And God says, I take care of them. And he wants you to know tonight, if you're mine, I'll take care of you. Now, when men go to the homes of their girlfriends, well, the first thing the parents want to know, do you have a job? Why? Can you take care of our daughter? What prospects do you have? Have you gone to school? Do you know where you'll take my daughter to live? What arrangements have you made for children? Can you support them? Are you in a position to take care of our girl whom you're courting whose hand you desire in marriage god says to all women and men i can take care of you i can take care of you now god takes care of us on two levels and for two reasons reason number one whatever god makes whatever he creates he sustains what every woman should know about God is that God knows how to take care of that which is His. I want you to reflect and think. There's a lady who lives in Detroit, and I would frequently speak for her organization. And she got married and called me. She said, Randy, would you come speak for my business and meet my husband? So I said, yes. I went, did a three-hour presentation, 
met her husband. He was in the, uh, the, 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 the audience. A few months later, I got an email saying, I am divorced. My husband up and left. Left me with all the bills and just vanished. Now, there are two ways to leave. There's, there's a decent way. There's a classy way. There's the legal way. And then there's that way. He just upped, as we say, and left. God, God, God does not do that. Let me repeat what I just said because God is listening to me. God does not do that. That which God brings into existence, and I will repeat this ad nauseum, what he brings into existence, he becomes responsible for that. He brings into existence on two levels, creation and salvation. Now, we read in Genesis chapter 1 verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, Theologians have an expression called ex nihilo, which means what? Out of nothing. God created out of nothing. Hebrews 11 verse 3 says, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear, meaning when God created, he made his own raw materials. Now whoever built this structure needed raw materials. God did not need them. God made them. That's how God creates. That's also how he saves. There's a story of a man who was challenging God. He said, you're not God. I'm as much God as you are. You know, God is very tolerant. God takes a lot of stuff. And he takes it and he ta- he's been taking it for thousands of years. Let me tell you quickly, one day God will have enough. And when God has had enough, if you're not on the right side... May somebody have mercy on you so I don't know who that will be. This man challenged God. He said, I'm as much God as you are. God said, fine. What do you want? How do you want to prove that? The man said, let's create something. You think you're creator? I can create. We'll create. God said, you first. So the man bent down and scooped up some dirt about to create something. God said, get your own dirt. <laughs> get your own dirt. I made it. That's my raw material. I made it. You get your own dirt. You create something out of nothing. That's how God creates. Now, how does God save? Let's go to Romans chapter 7. Romans 7. Who wrote Romans? Yes, brother Paul. I'm so glad he loved to write. Romans 7, reading verse 18. As we continue what women ought to know about God and men. Romans 7, verse 18. Paul says, for I know that in me, that is in my what? Flesh dwelleth a few good things. No good things, says Paul. I know, says Paul, here's the the issue of knowledge. We ought to know that of ourselves there is nothing good in us. And so when a man or a woman is saved, the man or the woman comes to God and says to him, Father, there is nothing in me I can give to you as raw materials from which you can work. You have to create out of nothing. 
And so David prayed, create in me a clean heart. Because his heart had nothing in it that God can use as startup material. Are you listening to me? God creates ex nihilo out of nothing. He saves ex nihilo out of nothing because a person needing salvation is dead. Ephesians 1, 2 verse 1, And you have he quickened who were dead. Which means out of death, God brings life. Now, whether by creation or salvation, I repeat, when God creates something, he takes care of it. Now, when a man or a woman gives him or herself to God, God undertakes the responsibility for every aspect and facet and department of that person's life. All people either want to be taken care of or want to take care of somebody. Let me repeat that. All people, either they want to take care of someone or they want to be taken care of. God takes care of all that is his. And who and what is that? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. On the physical creation level, we are God's. When I say we're God's, I mean God, apostrophe, yes, the possessive, not we're divine. Not that, that. We belong to God at that level. But at the level of salvation, we are his again. And God has put his reputation on the line, I will take care of anyone who is a child of mine. Therefore, when we read Matthew 6, 25, where Jesus says, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought, we must wonder why is the word therefore in verse 25 of Matthew 6. Now the word therefore establishes a connection between something that has gone previously. Let's examine that. Look at verse 24 of Matthew 6 as we continue what women should know about God. Matthew 6, verse 24. Read this verse carefully and ask yourself, maybe it is my relationship to this verse that is the foundation of all the fear that I have in my life. Listen to what Christ says. He is about to announce an impossibility. Cannot happen. Even though many human beings try, it cannot happen. Matthew 6, 24. No man can serve two masters. No man, no woman can serve two masters. For either he will do what? Hate the one and love the other, or else you will hold to the one and despise the other. Jesus concludes, he cannot serve God and mammon. Now, here is where much of our fear comes. At a subconscious level, we are aware. At a subconscious level, that we are not serving one master. We are aware at some deep subterranean level that we have split loyalties 
We try to serve God on the weekend. And for the rest of that week, six days, we serve the other fellow. That produces fear, uncertainty, anxiety, because God is not part of a menage a toi. Let me anglicize that. God does not participate in a threesome. Are you listening to me? It's either you and God or leave God alone. Now, I'm not being harsh. I'm being biblical. It is you and God or leave God. You cannot invite another master into your relationship with God. And so before Jesus says, I'll take care of you, before Jesus says, don't worry about what you'll eat and what you'll drink and what you'll wear and where you'll live and where you'll work, Jesus says, first, make sure in your mind that you are serving me. Because if you're not, I am not responsible for you. You look scared. Are you scared? No way. That sister just spoke for everybody. No way. Listen to me. This is the key to peace of mind deep in your soul, in the basement of your heart. Peace. The knowledge that I belong to God 100%. Therefore, God will exercise that moral responsibility to take care of me, me and everyone under my roof. My health, my wealth, my work, my children, my safety. God assumes all of that and he watches over those who are his 100%. No man, says Christ, can serve two masters. And if there's a man or a woman listening to me who somewhere in your heart you believe you are serving two masters, it may be the place where you need to begin to get rid of that fear. Because God does not take care of those who have not given themselves to him. Now, I am not referring to that man or that woman who's never heard about Jesus. That's a different story. God is merciful. But the man or the woman who has heard of Christ and has rejected Christ makes no effort to know Jesus Christ. That person does not fall under the umbrella of God's special goodness. Now, why do I say God's special goodness? You see, the Bible says, He maketh His Son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. So there are some things that God does for the entire world. Then there are other blessings that God reserves only. What did I say? Only for those who serve Him and Him alone. Because that person who comes to Christ and whom Christ recreates through the process of salvation, that person, I say, becomes the personal responsibility of God. In Matthew chapter 10, Matthew 10, reading verse 29. Matthew 10, reading verse 29, the Bible says, Are not two sparrows sold for what? A farthing. Have you found Matthew 10, 29? Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? Now, the value of the sparrow can be measured by the price. 
If someone said, you know, I bought my car for 20 cents, you want to see what that car looks like. Does it run? Does it have wheels? If you said, I paid $200,000 for my car, you also want to see what that car looks like. You know, I was watching, uh, this man was talking, his watch cost $200,000. So I wanted to see what the watch looked like. Does the watch have an ATM machine that only puts out cash? What, what is this watch? $200,000 for what? A two sparrows sold for one farthing. Now, a farthing, for those of you who don't know, it used to be part of the British currency. You're old as I am, you know, pound, shillings, and pence, you know, farthings, and, and a, a guinea, and that kind of money. But a farthing is the sort of thing you leave at a gas station when you buy gas. You drop it in that little container on the counter. You know what I'm talking about? You don't need a penny. You see it on the ground, you walk past. It's embarrassing to pick up a penny. Now you pick up a $50 bill with pride, not a penny. So a farthing may be seen in modern language as a penny. Jesus says two of these sparrows are sold for a farthing. Then he goes on to say, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. What does he mean? When one of them dies, God knows because God has been caring for them individually. Luke 12, verse 6. Luke talks about the same thing, but he says, Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before your father? Meaning, when they're alive, God is aware. And he takes care of every single sparrow. And Jesus says to you tonight, opening night of freedom from fear, I will take care of you. In a world of constant threat of terrorism, God says, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. God can care for you. If you're a child of God and in your life you come up against the Red Sea, God takes it upon himself to part that sea. You come to a place in your life where the waters of opportunity have dried up, God will bring water out of a rock of hopelessness. You arrive at a cul-de-sac, nowhere to go. God will lift you up. He'll give you wings, as he said. You see what I did unto Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings, Exodus 19.4, and brought you unto myself. There is no impossibility that a child of God can bring to God. If your father were the President of the United States, you wouldn't worry. You wouldn't worry. You can go anywhere. You get whatever you want. Or if your father were Bill Gates, you wouldn't worry about school fees. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't worry about new shoes, holes in your socks. Mm -mm. All that fear would vanish. There are students in schools who worry about tuition for the next semester. And they can't study. It affects their grades and people think they're moronic. No, they're not morons. They are worrying about tuition. Your father's a millionaire. You don't worry. That fear is gone. What I'm saying is God can meet all your needs. How many needs did I say? All of our needs. And God delights to do that. And this is what I want you to leave here tonight knowing about God. Not just women, but men you've been eavesdropping. God knows how to take care of those that are His and that which is His. It is a principle by which God functions and God desires that we understand how he functions. As mysterious as he is, he desires that by effort and study and a relationship with him, we will come to an enlightened phase 
in our understanding of how this great God functions. And the more you know about God, the more you love God. The more you learn about God, the more you desire to be like God. The more you learn about God, the more you lose that uncertainty, that anxiety. That's why Jesus said to those who are 100% His, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life. What ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Matthew 6.25 Don't worry, Jesus says. Don't panic. You hear somewhere down the line that you're about to get a pink slip? Jesus says, don't worry. You're my child. I'll take care of you. Whatever the crisis. When God told Abraham that Sarah would have a child in Genesis 18, God was talking to Abraham in the forward portion of the tent. Sarah was sitting in the back portion of the tent and she heard and she laughed. In verse 12, therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, When I am waxen old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old? Also, Genesis 18, 12. And the Lord said to Abraham in verse 13, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear child which am old? And then he asks a question in verse 14, Is anything too hard for the Lord? What's the answer? No. So when God calls you to obey Him, Understand that the call is coming from someone who will take care of you and will handle the consequences of your decision to obey him. Because he becomes responsible for the consequences. That's why if you read the scriptures, frequently the Bible talks about God being the one who brought Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees. Well, it was Abraham who moved. But because he moved in obedience to God, God claims the responsibility for his having moved. And so God told him in Genesis 15:7, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inhabit it. When Joshua called all the elders together and the Israelites in Joshua 24, verses 1 and 2, Joshua said, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood, even Terah and Nahor in old times. And they served other gods. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied him and gave him Isaac. God claims responsibility for everything. I took him, I led him, I multiplied him, I gave him Isaac. I did it and God was right. Let God take you from the other side of the flood. And he, as he claimed responsibility for Abraham, God will claim responsibility for you. What is it we should know about God tonight? Is that God knows how to take care of those that are His. He delights in doing that. When you and I understand that, our fear begins to vanish when God tells us, Come to me. Come. I want you to do this or that. When you understand you are responding to a God who will cover you. God is all the insurance we need. He will cover us. With what will he cover us? With everything that he has. Now you and I, when we give, we give and we keep something back. Not God. In order to take care of you, God is willing to give everything that he has and so when the, the father spoke to the, the elder boy in the story of the prodigal son 
Now his elder son was in the field, Luke 15. And as he came and he drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry, the Bible said, and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgress I, transgress I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid. That's what he said. You've never given me a little goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, This is the father's son, thou art ever with me. Ah, praise God for the next few words. And all that I have is thine. Now, you ought to say amen. Reflect on those words. You see, God doesn't joke. He's not a humorist. He doesn't joke. That parable spoken by Christ himself, the father in the parable was the God himself. God said, all that I have is yours. Then you tell me what right you have to doubt God. Not some that I have. How many of us have ever given everything we have to anyone? Don't raise your hands. How many of us have ever given all that we have to anyone, even our children? Mm -mm. That's what God is prepared to do when you're his. All that I have. Think. Let that thought sink into your mind. Think about it tonight. God is prepared and not just prepared. He did it when he gave Christ. Because Christ is all that God has. All the angels, all the resources in the universe, all the power in heaven and earth is at your disposal from God because God will go to any length to take care of those that are His. What women should know about God? God yearns to take care of you. What every man should know about God, God desires to care for you. It is his, it is his delight to care for you. Why? Because he made you and God desires to take care of that which is his. We need to leave here understanding this principle. What God creates, he sustains. Those whom he saves, he sustains and maintains. The first step in losing our fear is to understand a person in the hands of God is taken care of and has all of heaven behind him or behind her. There were two journalists who were captured in, uh, was it Lebanon? And frequently Westerners are captured, the Americans are captured. And they have yet to send the American army to get them back. They stay there. God is ready to send the entire angelic host to get you out of satanic captivity if you call on his name. God is willing to put all the resources of heaven at your disposal if you call unto him because God answers what he wants 
take care for you. Why? Because he loves you. Why? Because he created you. And he wants to save you. And he wants you in his kingdom with him. And that kingdom is coming. My beloved brothers and sisters, let me ask you a question. I want you to respond to me with the upraised right hand. And raise it quickly. Did you understand the message? Raise your right hand. God bless you. I want you to trust God. That's all I want you to do tonight. Trust God and believe what you heard. Go back home, read the verses. In Him, all things consist. Upholding all things by His powerful word, which means when the word says something, we can put our lives on it. God loves you and wants to take care of you beginning now. But you must serve. How many masters? One. How many of you will say, Lord... I place myself in your hands tonight and I want you to take care of me. How many of you have fear in your heart and you want to say, Lord, I want to lose this fear? How many of you have ever in your lives wanted to have a life of peace and you want to say, Lord, I believe this peace begins with you? If any of that applies to you and you want to say, Lord, I place myself in your hand. Won't you stand to your feet? Let me pray to God for you. And stand boldly. Never be ashamed of God. People come from all across the country to see celebrities. They park outside their homes, take photographs. and No one seems to want to see to be in God's presence. Never be ashamed of God. Be bold in your declaration that God is your God. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Thanking you that he who created is he who saves because he died for us. We thank you that that which he creates, he sustains. That which he saves, he sustains and maintains. In the name of Jesus, Father, we ask you now to have mercy upon us. And we put ourselves into your hands, asking you, Lord, to take care of us. We desire to serve one master, the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Take care of us, bless us, and bring us back to this place on Sunday night with our friends, our relatives, to hear more of the life-saving word, we offer this prayer in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen and amen. God bless you. By his grace, we shall see you on Sunday night right here for more of Freedom From Fear.